Before we really begin our lesson this morning, although it, I guess it ties in always, we need to acknowledge those who are in just horrible pain in Buffalo, New York this morning. Um, the shootings there that were very obviously racially um, motivated by his own statements and the uh, live streaming of the event. Our social media world has made us into monsters, I'm afraid. Amen. So we need to pray for them. But we also are praying for those in Ukraine and those in Russia, the mothers who will never receive back their sons because of the ambitions of those who rule them. And we have no control over the, these things. Our job is to be faithful. So let us pray. Our Father, you made us in your image, but we do seem to be remarkably gifted in killing each other with guns and knives and swords and sarin gas and passenger planes and IEDs and a hundred other ways. And for that we repent. And we pray that your spirit and your, your peace will descend upon those in Buffalo who no longer have their family intact and never will again. The death of all the dreams that those people had and that their families and communities had for them. And Father, we can pray the same prayer for those who will not receive back their sons in Ukraine and Russia and in the hundred other wars and insurrections that never even make our news with the kidnapping of young girls by Boko Haram in Nigeria and elsewhere. Things that just aren't considered as important to put on our news as anything else. And for that we repent as well. Help us, Father, to remember how we were made and act accordingly. In the name of Jesus, we pray, and amen. amen. If you find an opportunity to show love to anybody online or in person this week, please do so. We don't need anybody correcting anybody online. We don't need anybody preaching to anybody online. We need people who are peaceful and who are loving. And here's where we are going to hit as we transition into the lesson today, a very uncomfortable reality. I gave this lesson the title, Family Business Love, knowing that that would make some people not tune in. Some people who generally do tune in. And here, let me explain why. Some of our audience are not Christians. Some of our audience are agnostics, deists, or atheists who respect us because we show them love and respect. And because when they write me, I answer them. And we do so with love and respect. We don't attack anyone, and they've noticed that. But when they see this title, they're going to cringe to the point where they're going to back up because they're going to look at this as a bit of self-delusion or maybe self-congratulations. And the reason why is that they don't experience love from Christians. They don't re experience love from religious people in general. Let's be aware that that's not just a Christian disease. You'll find that in Hinduism, you'll find it in, in Islam, you'll find it elsewhere, where those will take their religion as a way to disapprove of others and to judge others. Eating from that fruit. This is the third lesson in the series. So if you don't know the illusion, go back 
two weeks and catch up. People around us see judgment and narrow-mindedness. One of my dear friends asked a young lady who he knew was a sex worker if she would come and worship with him and sit with him. And she looked at him appalled and said, why in the world would I want to do that? Don't you think I get judged enough? Don't you think I get the looks enough? He spoke of others who actually threw up in a parking lot out of fear of coming in the building and how they might be treated. Now, if you're reacting right now, but, but, but we're nice, yes, but can we also admit that sometimes we are not and that the world doesn't see our love? And if you don't see and feel love, are you loved? It's a question, and one I don't think I can answer entirely. But there are another this is going to get harder. So, so we're going to have some Christians tune out pretty soon. Um, there are also those out there that have read our Bible, or portions of it, and they did not see love. Rather, they saw horror upon horror. Richard Dawkins, perhaps the leading atheist of our time, at least one of the top two or three, formed this picture of God, of horror, by reading the Bible and being taught the Bible in school because in Breton, in public schools, which are private schools, I'm sorry, I don't, I'm not in charge of the language. The rich people send their kids to public schools which the public can't get in. That's all, I, I'm sorry, I, I, don't, I don't know how to do this. Um, they teach the Bible. They don't teach it as truth, generally, but as an important document, a foundation of civilization. But he was taught the Bible, and this is his take on it, a quote that comes from one of his many best-selling books. The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction, jealous and proud of it, a petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. Now there's a quote that won't be in much churches today, but you need to know these are best-selling because people have read portions of Scripture and that's what they got. Now, you might bristle at this, but I fear that this is a trap of our own making. Many of us were taught that the Bible, every word of it, came out of the mouth of God and therefore is approved and beloved by God. In fact, we were taught that this book was as perfect and as holy as God. Even to this day, I still get two or three nice, honest people. We're not making fun of anybody. Nice, honest people write me saying, I've used my Bible so many years, it's falling apart, I can't keep it together, but I don't know how we're, is there a way we're supposed to dispose of this? Is this, the, this was an avatar of God. In Islam, it is. If you disrespect the, the Quran, you are blaspheming Allah. And if you mistreat the Quran, you are attacking Allah. 
And a lot of Christians treat this the same way. We divorced it from its culture. We divorced it from its time. And we stripped away any human involvement in it. And then we have to work day and night hard to explain away or minimize some really horrible things in there. And for those of you that are bristling still, I'm just going to ask, have you read it? I did. I did several times. I read it only noticing what I was allowed to notice. And then I went back and read it again. And as my wife will tell you, this has not been an easy journey for me. The last 20 years have been rather brutal. As I've kept saying to God, all right, you're big enough to handle the question. I have some questions. I have one grandson who I think will be more interested in science than the other. others are. And every so often he'll say, Granda, I have some questions. And I'll just beam. And Cammy knows inside him going, yes. Because I want the questions. I want the challenges. I don't want any of them to believe something because I said it. Check it. Run it back. Test it. Reverse engineer it. Make sure it's right. There are some things. We're going to dismiss some stories, all right? There are some things in here that are awful stories, but God didn't cause it or God didn't order it. God's just reporting it, all right? For example, Judges 11, that really disturbing story of Jephthah making a promise to kill whatever comes out of the city as a thank you to God and happens to be his daughter. And he goes, oh, well, made a promise. There's no indication in scripture that God approved of that at all. He just reported the facts. That would be like holding a newspaper to account for murders in Buffalo, New York, because they reported it. So we can just lay that aside. The same with that horrific story that I'm not going to talk much about because I've already given you enough words today that your kids are going to be asking about. So I'm not going to do that on this one. Just saying 2 Samuel 13 and what happened to Tamar, that'll never show up in a vacation Bible school and nor should it. It's horrific. If I was God, I wouldn't have put it in there. But somebody did. But there's no sign God approved of any of this. So set those aside. What are you left with? Well, you're left with a lot of good stuff. We're we're not minimizing the good stuff. Last week, go back and check, we talked about the love, love, love all the way through the scripture. But today we're going to talk about how love sometimes has to bubble up through a lot of unlove. What about the laws that are said to be from the mouth of God? In Deuteronomy chapter 23, a very uncomfortable chapter, by the way, But if you're reading Deuteronomy and you only got uncomfortable at chapter 23, I don't want to live near you. Even chapter 22 has a lot of rules about unwanted sexual activity. That's all I'm going to call it right now. That would make us go, "Eh, no, oof. That doesn't seem legitimate, just, or kind. And I agree. I am not going to stand here, sit here. By the way, I'm sitting because I found out when I stand, my hands are doing this the whole time. People are wondering if I'm interpreting for the deaf in Britain. No. No. Uh, I'm just going to sit here. But I cannot defend Deuteronomy 22 as modern and acceptable. Don't think I'm supposed to. 
Deuteronomy 23, what's in there? Oh, you can't come to church if you were banned out, if born outside of wedlock. We're going to punish the baby. For how long? To the 10th generation. Uh, oh, and if you were born in the wrong people, the Moabites or the Ammonites, not allowed to come. You can't worship. God doesn't want you. All the way to the 10th generation. Anybody really comfortable with that? How does that gel? How does that square? Whatever word you want to use. With Jesus saying, whosoever will may come. Let him who is thirsty come drink. Let those who are hungry come eat. Whosoever will may come. My father has many children that has sheep that are not in this fold. How does this square? Jesus declared that we were to love our enemies. That's not always the rule in the Old Testament. Is this the same God? Well, this has come to the point where one of the greatest... Um, and the biggest splits and the earliest split in Christianity was a bishop named Marcion who kept going, no, 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 reading the Old Testament. So he dismissed it, dismissed a lot of the New Testament and started saying that God was a bully, this God's better. Gnostics have said that forever and they have so many different versions of it, but basically they say that the God that made creation was dirty and awful. That's why creation's dirty and awful and you get shootings in Buffalo and all the other... But the God of Christ is a God of love. Do we need to split them? Or can we talk about our book and what we've done with our book? I believe the first thing we need to do is acknowledge, as we do when we recite the creed or just talk to each other, is that God is holy and righteous and God is love because he said so and we trust him. And then be honest enough to filter everything through that. But are we? Are you ready? I tell people that this Bible is a finger of God. And I want to explain why I call it that. Because when some people use, especially poets, use the finger of God, they mean that's when he pokes us or hurts us somehow. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about dogs. I like dogs. I love dogs. And dogs seem to have an inordinate love of me. That's all right. It's, sometimes it's hard to get to my grandsons because they're dog believes I came to see her. Sometimes I did. <laughs> but you can't point things out to a dog. Dogs are very intelligent. Uh, we used to have a border collie. I've been around border collies. That's what you do over there, you know, um, control the uh, crowd control in the pasture is border collies. Smart, incredibly smart dogs. But if you were to say, look over there, there's a stake the dog will look at your finger. And if you do this, their head will just move, looking at the finger. Now you can train a dog, and when you use a certain word, they're going to, but if you use your finger, they will forget the word and look at the finger. And I believe that we have looked at this so much, we've often forgotten what it points to, the who it points to. It points to Jesus as John chapter 1 the word of God. But often we call this the word of God to the point we don't hear the word of God because we never get there. We're too busy defending some pretty terrible things. For example, take the prohibition in Leviticus and Deuteronomy against marrying foreign women. 
I married a foreign woman. To me. American. I'm American too, but only a bit. You weren't allowed to marry a foreign woman. Especially Moabites. And Ezra and Nehemiah went to the point of whenever they went back into Jerusalem and were building Ezra, uh, Ezra the temple, Nehemiah the wall, uh, of walking around saying, right, you married a foreign lady, you've got to send her and all those kids out into the desert. They were breaking up the marriages. Nope, 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 nope. Rather like the infamous William Plecker, look him up, who was the statistician and record keeper for the state of uh, Virginia who back in the early 1900s went around and broke up marriages because white people weren't to marry somebody who wasn't pure white, who could prove they weren't white. And they broke up families and forcibly sterilized people. Caught on, by the way. Big trend. Supported by the Rockefellers and many others and that, those rich families to the point where uh, you would go to state fairs in the 40s and they would run your genealogy so you could get a certificate of being pure white so that your marriage could stay together. Hitler actually wrote letters appreciating and thanking our scientist for the help. But you don't get told about Cold Harbor anymore, eugenics anymore. That's part of our history. But we don't put it in our book. There are some things put in this book. But did God order this? It looks like it, but then... We get the book of Ruth. What are you going to do with the book of Ruth? Ruth's a Moabitess who comes into town and a Jewish guy is smitten by her. They get together and they make babies. And those babies make babies and those babies make babies. And eventually, Matthew chapter 1 opens with Ruth, a Moabitess, was one of Jesus' grandmothers. So, what are we going to do with Ezra and Nehemiah except to say that isn't what God intended, but man thought it was. The Old Testament again and again is an argument about God. By the way, Ezra and Nehemiah were so tight on this that um, the Jews refer to both books as Ezra. First Ezra and second Ezra. But um, what are we going to do with Malachi? Because Malachi, as he writes ending the Old Testament, he didn't know that, by the way. Uh, he probably would have you know, had a car chase or something, you know, to bring it up at the end. But Malachi writes, God saying, I hate divorce. I hate a man covering himself with violence like a cloak. And that's a, it's almost impenetrable in English to understand what that means in Hebrew, but it means those men who mistreat women. I hate them. Which one we, what are we going to do with this? What are we going to do with Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, especially in Matthew chapter 19, where he says, don't, no, if you don't put them away, marry, live with them and love them. How's this, how's this possible? How, how do we have this, this fight? I would respond, well, how can you miss it? How can you miss this tension? Because what did Jesus say and do in his first public sermon? And not just in the first public sermon, in the first part of his first public sermon. Matthew chapter 5, go through and circle the number of times he said, you have heard it said, and he quotes the Old Testament, and then he says, but I say to you. 
and changes it. Didn't you see that? Didn't you see that Jesus himself is saying, that's not what we want. This is what we want. Oh, I have been attacked for that by people who try to run apologies around. But listen, when you have to write four books that are longer than the Bible to explain away the Bible, that's a problem. That's a problem. I love Jesus. And I love the Bible because it points me to Jesus. But there are parts of the Bible where I read it and go, how could they have thought that's what God wanted? Look at Rahab in a fall of Jericho. I've told this story before, so I don't want to go into it all now, but at Lipscomb Lectureships one year, they assigned me the story of Rahab. I said, why would you do that to me? What have I done to you? I don't even, I'm not even paid. I do this for free. But I did. And I opened it the way it is. Um, God wanted to take Jericho, and so he sent in spies to see how to do it. And um, he sent in the spies. Next scene, they're, they're in a brothel. I um, don't have a decision tree for how this occurred. And then they, the, the madam, uh, they tell her, if somebody asks you for your, if we're here, if you lie, God will bless you. And she did. And he did. Hope you have a rest, you know, happy rest of vacation Bible school, kids. Um, I don't envy the person creating the coloring book for you uh, to do this. And yet, they kept their promise and God kept his. But there were very strict rules in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, very strict, that these type women, not just because of her work, but also because of her nationality, were never to be allowed in the camp. And the next time we see Rahab, she is outside the camp, but then the next time we see her, she's married to a Jewish man. And the next time she's mentioned in scripture is, you knew it's coming, one of Jesus's grandmothers. Almost as if God's trying to tell us something. That look at Jesus. By the way, Rahab, her name is after a pagan god. So if you Google her name in the Bible or you go to Bible Gateway or Bible.ca, one of your, your, um, your ports on the internet to look at all the scriptures, and you look up Rahab, you'll find a bunch of mentions, but most of them are about a sea beast who is a pagan god. And that's who she was named after. And her name's not changed when she's one of Jesus' grandmothers. I find that remarkable. What's going on here? We see God in the Old Testament ordering the genocide of entire populations. Men, women, and children. He specifically mentions the children. And in one incident says, but don't harm the trees. Do you really think that God values trees over babies? I've read books by men. I don't know why they're always by men. Books by men that try to explain this to say, now God didn't order this kind of destruction unless they had really gotten to a really bad place. And one of the books even mentions they did child sacrifice. So it's fixed by killing babies? No. Some of it's war talk. In the Middle East, they do that. Mother of all battles, the blood will come up to the grains of the horses. And then two guys get out there and slap each other and it's over. I get that. But I also see the book of Jonah, which is written as a corrective to this. Just like the book of Ruth is written to as a corrective. Where Jonah properly despises the Ninevites. 
God says, you go over there and preach and they'll, they'll repent and I'll save them. And Jonah, being a good Jew, knows that God's wrong here. Because you, Ninevites cannot be saved, therefore this is a test. And he runs away until you know the story. The only good people in the book of Jonah are the pagans. Really, because Jonah doesn't end up good either. In fact, whenever he, he doesn't preach much of a sermon, he just walks in, 40 days and Nineveh will fall. That's it. And they all repent. And it's like, what? And he just goes out and sits. God lets a vine over him because evidently he's a little bald up here and it's hurting him with the sun. Then God sends a worm to kill the vine just to show Jonah, you're not God, deal with it. Um, he didn't ever actually say that. That's my interpretation of the worm vine event. But after that, Jonah said, uh, God said to Jonah, don't you have any sympathy for the people of Nineveh? And then he adds, what about the cows? Now that's hilarious. It was actually used as a source for a line in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? When Machine Gun Kelly starts shooting the cattle and the guy goes, George, the cows? <laughs> I know that's what it says because I watch TV with subtitles so I can understand people like Randall. Um, and he does not come with subtitles. And the Bible specifically says if somebody speaks in a strange tongue, there should be a translator. So there you are. Trees, I mean, this makes our head swim, doesn't it? Doesn't, shouldn't it concern you? What about the purity rules of Deuteronomy? Some of them make a lot of sense. In Leviticus, some of them make a lot of sense. And in fact, they have advanced scientific knowledge that blows my mind away. But others of them, you're going, well, that... And then you get the book of Hosea, one of my favorite books. I love that book. You got a priest. And I don't think he was a nice priest. I just don't. There's something about Hosea that makes me think, this was the last guy I would have used for this story. And God tells him, why don't you go over and marry this sex worker? And of course, that's against the rules. There are whole portions of Leviticus and Deuteronomy that say, God doesn't want you to do this. And God's saying, no, I want you to go do that. So he does, but evidently he doesn't trust her because he names the kid. That's not mine, not my kid. Don't know that one. Seriously, that's what he names the kids. And then next time we know, she's off on the auction block being sold again as a sex slave to somebody else or a maid or something. And God, people say, well, she ran off. She, you know, she was unfaithful to him. I think he was just impossible to live with. I really do. Because he can't be a priest now because if he met the missus and none of the kids look like us. But then God goes... He doesn't say go over there and buy her and force her back. He says redeem her and woo her. Woo her. Really? I love that book. By the way, it is in such stark contrast to Leviticus and Deuteronomy. I've got dear friends of mine that are right now probably screaming at their telly saying it's, it's just a metaphor. Excuse me, but that's not how metaphors work. Maybe it is a book of fiction. I don't think so, but let's go that way. Why would God include it unless he was trying to answer something? Every time people say, just locking it down, you see God opening it up a little bit. No, this is what God wants. God opens it up a little bit. 
and opens it up a little bit and all of a sudden Jesus and he's saying whosoever will may come. All of the law is just wrapped up in love God and love each other. Wow. It's almost like an in your face to some of these other things. And all, all those people who were completely wiped out, God said kill them all. They show up again repeatedly. And they wipe them all out from the face of the earth. Two chapters later, well, the Moabites, they show again and again. What's going on here? You're seeing human tracks. You're seeing Peter not bringing up that it was him who denied Christ. You're seeing John not saying it was him who uh, ran away. You're seeing human tracks. And I love it. You're seeing Luke. Who alone among telling the story of the woman who had a, uh, an issue of blood for all those years and the scripture said she suffered much at the hands of doctors until she ran out of money. Luke is the one who does not put in that last line. He was a doctor. I love that. I love this book because I see the humanity in it and I see God pulling us up despite ourselves and moving us toward love. So yeah, yeah, um, Dr. Dawkins, you can really look at that God that way, or you can say that the humans got him wrong and that God settles the argument when he sends Jesus. Maybe we caused this, Dr. Dawkins. Maybe we did. Maybe we treated this as such a holy thing that we made inflated claims about it. But you know, believers of God have always done that. Eve started it, not with the eating. It was before the eating. Whenever the devil asked, can you eat anything here? And she goes, well, we can't eat of that one or even touch it. We have the tendency to overstate. We do it billions of times. <laughs> See? God's pulling us toward love. I mean, there are laws of slavery in Scripture. Notice I put laws in plural because every time they ease up, get a little bit freer, a little bit freer. By the time we get to Paul writing Philemon, he says a slave is our brother and you're to treat him appropriately. Not as a slave, but as your brother. We wish, we, we really do. We might wish more fervently, that the rise of love and the status of women, the acceptance of the foreigner and all the other might have occurred sooner and faster. But it did occur. And it did occur by the hand of God. All arguments about the Old Testament and any arguments we might have had since the first century are answered in the words and life of Jesus the Messiah. What did he say? What did he do? How did he treat the other? Do that. Say that. Be that. That is why Paul could confidently say, state, and he comes out of nowhere as far as I'm concerned. Paul's writing the, the Jewish people and he goes, circumcision doesn't do anything. What? There are about 700 generations of men that would like to ask a question now. But he said it doesn't do anything. It's because of Jesus. Jesus is our purity. He is the interpreter of the law. And he said, love God and love your neighbor. That's the whole of the law and the prophets. Because the family business of heaven is love, not war, not hate, not devaluing others. Or taking a big old bite of forbidden fruit and declaring what is right and wrong. That's not our job. Our job is to love. 
Our job is not to hate, despise the shooter yesterday. Our job is not to trace and throw blame. Our job is to rush into places everyone else is running out of and be the first to serve in love. That's our job. Think of, um, think of the impact we'd have on the world if that was our reputation. I'm going to um, ask our team to come back up, if you would, please. In my own life, I see God bending me this way from my sins, from my anger, from my judgment, from my harsh nature, from my narrow-mindedness, from my arrogance to something different. But I also know he's not done. And sometimes I wake up a little worried about that, where we're going next. But here's the thing. God's opinion of me is higher than my opinion of me. God's opinion of you is higher than your opinion of you. That's why, that's why we all should just say, okay, Father, your way, not mine. I will look at Jesus. I will look at the word of God because I understand that now the family business is love. Love.